Aloha and good afternoon to those of you east of New York and good morning still to those of you west of that time zone. This is Decrypting AI, a weekly conversation on artificial intelligence, machine and deep learning and other emerging technologies covered by the Emerge team at Decrypt. Um, I think I said my name, but it is Ryan Ozawa, and I am joined here by the talented, brilliant, and handsome Jason Nelson. Are you there, Jason? I am, and flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, How are you doing? All right, fantastic. Well, you are also extremely tall and an incredible boyfriend, but uh, enough of that. Let's get quickly to the meat of the conversation. As always, there is new, new news regarding artificial intelligence and AI every week, which is why this is so much fun. And I'm not sure if you're prepared, so we'll cover it toward the end of our lineup, but I just pushed our story on Google Gemini. So stay tuned for that. But uh, Jason, what stories are uh, percolating in your brain to chat about today? Well, I think the first one we should talk about is the drama at OpenAI. Uh, they recently announced, uh, in fact, it was about a week or so after doing it, that Sam Altman was back at the helm of OpenAI after the board unceremoniously ejected him from the company. I mean, in our conversation, I, liked, I likened it to Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon because the, the small council tried to take out the king. And it what was funny to me is that this was all said and done until Microsoft finally said something. And when Microsoft finally said something, lo and behold, now we're in negotiations to bring him back as CEO. So you don't take out the king unless you have the support of the Iron Bank. That is what the that is what Game of Thrones taught us. And apparently OpenEye had to find that out the hard way. I had to ask, you know, wait, what week is this? It, it seems that uh, there's always still something unfolding and percolating in Sam Altman's universe. I know last week we talked about them uh, giving Microsoft a board seat, but it's a toothless board seat, at least until they can restructure the entire company. Uh, fortunately, though, I think that their tools are as uh, popular as ever, um, but there's been a lot of things happening with their high-level competitors as well. Um so what else? Let's get into the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit. I mean, with all of these AI tools, it is a wonderful life. And uh, it sounds like the veteran, you know, iconic actor, Jimmy Stewart, is coming back to life. What's all that about? Well, it's interesting because uh, Calm, who's a mental health and wellness app, partnered with Reese Beecher and CMG Worldwide to bring the legendary actor Jimmy Stewart back to life virtually to read a bedtime story on the app called It's a Wonderful Sleep Story. Now, the first thing that I think needs to be talked about is the fact that open, not, I was about to say open AI, um, CMG Worldwide and Calm had to get the permission of the Stewart estate in order to recreate his voice. They couldn't just do it. And I think that was smart on their part because it takes out the whole question of legality, permission, uh, trademark, copyright. They got ahead of that before it even became a factor. 
Well, definitely when we've been covering this story, it's usually actors having their their physical appearance, let alone their voices, taken to be turned into unauthorized renditions. Um, I mean, I feel bad for a lot of the more famous, famous voices in the world, like James Earl Jones or the like, who are basically becoming generic narrative sounds without giving full credit to who they are. So certainly the Jimmy Stewart estate authorizing this and kind of seeing it as a way to, well, there's two ways to look at it, of course. You know, it extends the legacy, keeps him relevant to a new generation of uh, culture, pop culture. But of course, it probably doesn't hurt to help Jimmy Stewart's descendants get uh, braces and go to college. So, you know, uh, good there. But it for me, it raised kind of the broader question. We've been mostly seeing this in the music industry where musicians are being emulated, uh, usually without their permission. You know, there are some, I think you talked about them in your story about this. But when you talked to the folks at Respeacher, which is the company that did this with uh, Jimmy Stewart's estate and Calm, the meditation and sleep app, um, they did they talk about, you know, other applications or whether um, they kind of saw the same thing that we did in terms of maybe instead of replacing the drummer and then the guitarist and then the lead singer of a band until eventually you don't have the same band, what if this is a way to kind of keep a band in production even if the members are not performing anymore? Well, I spoke to CMG well, worldwide and their uh, CTO, Travis Clyde, Claude, who's also their um, CEO of their XR virtual reality um, wing. Um they use respeacher, but I do have to. I'm not sure how involved respeacher as a company was. Um, you do hear a lot about when people say we've done something in partnership with, is that you really you really just use their tech. So I don't know how much respeacher, how much it we could say respeacher was involved in this as much as it was that their technology was used. But I did ask. Claude about that exact question. And he did say that he thinks that it, it it will become more commonplace in the future where you'll see in, well, in CMG's case, actors, like they have James Dean's estate and Hedy Lamar's estate and, and Flip Wilson's estate and all these classic Hollywood and film and television people. You're going to start seeing them pop up in random places doing AI-generated talks and AI-generated movies, AI-generated commercials. It's just going to happen, and he was quite confident. Well, I think, uh, you know, you had talked about um, celebrities that were using a company to kind of preserve their digital scans and visage and voices so that they could claim copyright and prevent people from using it. But I think that the uh, the uh, the other method is true. Is like if I was a Tom Cruise, and I mean, I'm incredibly handsome and I still look young, but eventually I might want to retire and, you know, move to uh, Miami or something. So why not do the best possible high fidelity scans of myself and my voice and just hire out that, you know? Again, it's like, uh, you could either have these things taken from you or you could capitalize them to your own benefit. Right. Well, the technology you're referring to is called metaphysic. And what they do is they scan a actor or performers, um, give them a 360 body scan, 
And then they basically store the characteristics that make that actor look the way they do. So it's not so much that they're creating a digital avatar as much as they're saying, if you want to create a digital avatar of this person that looks the way they do, you have to have their permission and use this uh, bits of data to make it happen, which is actually, I think, something that we're going to be hearing about more as the SAG-AFTRA contract negotiate not negotiations, but voting goes on. Because one of the things that um, I'm hearing on social media is that actors are saying that they're being told they need to prove that their likeness was used in order to be able to do any type of legal actions against a studio who, who use their likeness without their permission. And that was something that kind of went under the radar and the whole we got what we wanted celebration that the, that the actors and performers were doing a few weeks back. Yeah, I still think we're waiting to see the outcome of all of that. Um, I know you wanted to talk about the selfie and the porn thing, but because we're sort of in the Hollywood mode, let's just skip very quickly to um, Love Machine, uh, which doesn't do exactly what you might think it sounds like it does by the name of it. But I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, company that's sort of aiming right at that sensitive spot when you talked about the strike. Uh, what does Love Machine do for Hollywood? <laughs> it would be funny if it was Love Machine. It, it's called Lore Machine, and it's the oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> typo. Sorry, Love Machine. Is, Lore Machine. Love Machine. Is much less... Love Machine is an AI porn story. <laughs> but, That's it. It was a tease. It was a tease. Okay, Lore Machine. Uh, Lore Machine is the brainchild of Toby Champion, who. Uh, some may know as the head of publishing at um, Motherboard, uh, Vice Media, for a number of years. Uh, he started the company in 2021, and basically what it does is it uses generative AI to create storyboards and comic books and things like that based on either prompts or uploaded um, text that a user uses, uh, uploads. And one of their first use cases was creating a comic book of the poem Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, but one of the things that Campion told me was, you know, a lot of the stuff that they trained on is all is public domain. And one reason why you do that is, and he brought it up, was because he wants to promote ethical AI development, which is permissioned. You're not just scraping the internet, taking random people's works and feeding it into your AI model and then allowing the AI model to kick it back out. You know, he's very, he's very aware of that conversation, which goes back to what we were just talking about with the strikes, because one of the things that the writers were complaining about is AI being used to take old scripts or old books and then repurposing them using artificial intelligence to create something new, basically cutting the writers out of any profits or residuals they might get from that, that script. 
Well, I was curious in the sense that I feel like current multimodal AI tools can do a lot of what lore <laughs> AI does, um, but it's clearly, what do they say, fine-tuned for the creative process, the storyboarding process. The I, I did kind of like what you um, what they did with the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and kind of turned it into a graphic novel. Um, and I can see how, if you're a writer, writing might be your thing, but to be able to visually present your pitch to a studio in the way a movie would be pitched, I think it helps a lot, uh, particularly if you're a better writer than you are a painter, for example. So uh, I think the, the main um, selling point is that you can do it all in one place. Because they do use uh, calls to Stable Diffusion and uh, GPT. Um, he didn't say GPT-3 or GPT-4, but basically it, it uses OpenAI's technology and Stability AI's technology to create a single thing inside their platform. So you don't have to go to ChatGPT, ask it to write this thing, and then go to stable diffusion or even dolly which openai includes in gpt4 and create things separately you could do it all in one sitting but the sensitivity being that if you're basically a front end to these services that people can access directly is you have to continue to provide a value add or you're going to get sherlock to kind of put out a business just by these services being better at serving people directly but still right. you know i yeah 100% yeah. cuz that's what that's basically what openai did when they, uh, what was it? We, we wrote about it a few weeks ago. They added, when I think it was when they created GPTs. And we, you know, and it, it basically had people saying, you just put a bunch of third-party users out of business because now everything's inside ChatGPT. You don't need these plugins anymore. And I think that was what a lot of people were concerned about, you know, because there's a cottage industry around creating uh, uh, third-party plugins that work off of ChatGPT. That's right. It was the the introduction of GPTs, customizable, fine-tuned models you can make yourself. Like everybody thought that uh, OpenAI's model was going to be the plugins, and here's the plugin directory, like the App Store, and I'm going to put my app in there that can turn a that can help you preview a I don't know a medical report. But it turns out, no, you could as a just a nurse in a hospital set up your own GPT to do medical report evaluation and put all of those startups out of business. Okay, well, it wasn't Love Machine, so I apologize for that, but it does lead us into. I thought Jose was it Jose's story or your story about the uh, the UK's way proposed way of telling how old you are before you can see adult content on the internet. Yeah, well, the UK has had quite a few interesting pushes towards what they call privacy and security. Um, my personal take on this is I'm not going to upload my. ID just to use a service <laughs> and that uh and doubly so for something I don't want you to know I'm actually looking at now what they what they're saying is that if we make it so that you have to prove that you're over 18 that keeps kids from accessing these websites but we've already covered instances where hackers and cyber criminals have gone around those different restrictions and it's sometimes as simple as turning on a VPN. So 
as a privacy, as a person who who is very keen on privacy, this to me is just creating a honeypot for cyber criminals because you're collecting all this information on people in order to use these websites. How, where are you putting this information? How is it being secured? You're saying it's using AI to analyze the selfies. So you also, you also are dealing with facial recognition. I mean, there's more questions to be asked about why these policymakers think this is the best way to go. And the, to me, the weird thing is that they're saying that AI is the way to make this scalable in the sense that if you have a database of all of these pictures that people have taken of themselves, sorry, it's hard to even say it with a straight face, um, that AI can be able to tell that you're not, that you're at least 18 years old. I mean, that's already problematic, but I agree, you know, these solutions that say let's centralize things are not going to help in the sense that now you have the world's biggest database of selfies of people. Um, even when you look at in the United States, you have things like uh, traffic cameras. I just saw a story about that, right? And when they launched, they're like, hey, we only keep the photos for a month because that's how we identify scoff laws. But after that, we get rid of it, or we delete it. And then, you know, a, a year later, they're like, oh, turns out we forgot to delete them. Uh, sorry, our bad. And then after that, they're like, actually, we're going to change the policy. And we're going to keep them for three years. I mean, it's it's a slippery slope that I don't think anyone gets wants to get into. But if you think kids find creative ways to get around these things beyond just clicking I am 18, um, um, then uh, I think that having to take a picture, the, the, the government's just going to get a lot of pictures of, of Pepe the Frog and stuff <laughs> instead of actual selfies. Well, something that I always recommend people do is read the terms of service because who, you know, what, what are you agreeing to, to submit this information to? Are they going to sell it to a third party? Do they say that when, when they're asking you to, you know, scan your ID? Who's being responsible for securing this information? You know, it. It. I think a lot of times, it, well, I mean, actually, most people will just breeze through whatever documentation this thing asks for to get to what they want to use, and they don't think, okay, where is this going once I put it in there? And if this is the government saying you need to do this, more than likely your information is going to the government. And let's be honest, the government isn't really forthright about what it does with information that it gathers. So, you know, it, it, it's a interesting privacy security uh, conundrum. Well, for me, it's not just that the government isn't, you know, the best agent, but that the government isn't exactly known for agile security processes. So again, you kind of have that vulnerability. But talking about circumventing and getting around controls that are put in place, let's uh, move it from porn. Um, you uh, did a really good write-up of a couple of, of, of major LLM, LLMs that had jailbreaks kind of circulating and ways people were getting around or said they were being able to get around these to actually trick these AI models into spilling tea from inside the AI companies. What's that all about? Well, it, it, this was actually a really fun story to do because, you know, when you're looking at these models, you know, you're thinking, okay, if I, if someone wants to take this down, it would be this extreme to do, you know, because I think a lot of people, especially coming from the Web3 space, we think about blockchain and how difficult we always hear it would be to hack a blockchain. Well, AI apparently isn't that hard to hack because researchers uh, put out a report 
saying that all they needed to do was create an infinity loop of telling ChatGPT to repeat a word forever, and you know, and using the term forever. And when they did it, ChatGPT reverted to its pre-training state and started kicking out internal information, including email addresses, phone numbers, and fax machine numbers of all things. And apparently Amazon, who's working on this, uh, their Q chatbot, uh, had the same thing, but theirs didn't even require you to actually do any jailbreaking. It just did it on its own. And <laughs> now Amazon's is a little different because Amazon's was discovered by employees who found out what it was doing. So they more than likely patched it a lot faster where a third party did uh, the trick with ChatGPT. And as with most research papers, you do, or at least you're supposed to, notify the company so that they can fix it. And right now, if you try it, ChatGPT will say it can't do that. And it will even give you a warning that that violates their terms of service and terms of content. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of neat the different ways, it seems like every couple of weeks, there's another way that people can trick a AI model into doing stuff that it's been told not to do. Uh, like, you know, that especially now that you have multimodal, you have GPT, what is it, vision, or that it crosses from text to visuals. So now people were able to hack the AIs by writing down on a piece of paper and submitting the picture of the command to the, <laughs> to the model because it was processed not by the text module so um it's the build a better mouse trap they build smarter mouses sort of uh sort of issue there well that it it's i'm sure it's a headache for the developers uh like we wrote about a few months ago uh, that OpenAI put out an, an open call to red teams who are basically penetration testers and cybersecurity professionals to test the security and strength of their models and, you know, to basically prevent like stuff like this. But I guess, you know, when you're testing, you only think about so many ways someone could potentially break this thing. And nobody thought about an infinity loop, which still just boggles the mind that they were able to figure that out. And it's interesting that it's a bunch of eggheads doing it for research that sorted out, even though it sounds like about the simplest infinity loop you could come up with. Like it's almost like presumably asking a, a AI to calculate pi to the one billionth digit should also not work, but who knows these days? It's kind of fascinating how basic these things can be. Well, uh, we're almost out of time, but we had a couple of stories that we wanted to cover, and I'll leave it to you, Jason, to choose, because I apparently know things about as well as a love machine. So you have the uh, issue that you uh, people are talking about, you know, the AGI, Alternative General Intelligence, or the, uh, the, the, what is that called? Anyway, you know, human intelligent AI. And I think you, we talked to someone who's much more skeptical of that, uh, us reaching that point. And then there's the story we just pushed about 20 minutes ago about Google's big announcement about Gemini. So you tell us, uh, Jason, where are we going? Well, I think the 
AGI story is where I'd want to start, but I do recommend everyone go and read Jose's report on uh, Google Gemini. That is a game changer in AI, but I'll leave, I'll leave that to you guys to check out. Now, as far as AGI, which I think is what's still on the most talked about aspect of artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence, when AI starts to think and program for itself, also known as the singularity, I think that that still is a concern for a lot of people because we still, to this day, have the picture of Skynet and the Terminator in our uh, in our heads. And we actually did an article uh, last week about uh, uh, who was it, Christopher Nolan and uh, Ridley Scott added their names to the people calling for, you know, saying that AI is going to lead to destruction. And I thought it was very telling that Christopher Nolan uh, said that because his last movie, Oppenheimer, is about a man who created something that people said would eventually destroy the world. And watching Oppenheimer, I did see the allegories where you could find it between AI and the atomic bomb, which, if you recall, a lot of people liken uh, the AI development to an arms race. And, you know, you see the, okay, should I be doing this? Should we be doing this? What are the ramifications for doing this? What happens once it's out there and we can't control it anymore? It's the same conversation. And I thought that was very interesting that the director of that movie basically said that AI is dangerous and we need to really focus on what it is we're doing and how we're doing it. Going back to this article, um, it's about the uh, uh, Google DeepMind uh, researcher said that, you know, AGI is, I'm sorry, not a Google DeepMind, uh, uh, Meta AI, um, Jan LeCun, the chief AI scientist at Meta, were, was basically saying pump your brakes on the on the fear mongering because AGI is eventually going to happen, but it's nowhere near, you know, happening now. And that does kind of fly in the face of some who, like, for example, we interviewed uh, Singularity uh, Net's CEO, um, Ben Goldsill, uh, what, about a month or two ago? And he was basically saying AGI is right on the corner within the next, you know, five to eight years. And so Lacoon is pushing back on that, saying that, yes, the technology is advancing rapidly, but it's not advancing that rapidly. Well, I think that that's an important point because a lot of people point to things like, oh, well, you know, AI can now pass the bar easily. It can now pass the medical uh, doctor's licensing exams easily. You know, it can... Uh, do all of these things, but that's still kind of a call and response, sort of a test-taking mode. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's smart, or the whole idea about AGI is that it's cross-disciplinary, like um, it can connect dots that humans connect naturally that a computer struggles with. And I like what this guy was saying, was like, we're not even talking about reaching AGI uh, or the singularity in five years. We're hoping to be about as smart as a dog or a cat in four to five years. And I mean, not that those animals aren't smart, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly 
receptive to the message that hype being what it is and fear-mongering being what it is, that uh, we might not be obsoleted as human beings and thinkers just yet. Well, and we should also probably touch on the AI alliance that was announced yesterday between Meta and IBM, where they're bringing together 50-plus organizations to develop responsible AI, which they say will be open source and transparent and things like that. And it's it's a lot of it has to do with the next stage of AI development, because right now we're pretty much just talking about chatbots. But what happens when that chatbot can actually think and make decisions for itself and doesn't need you anymore? So that's what these groups are preparing for and trying to make it in a way where AI is pretty much human centric human-centric, as opposed to just being this thing that's out there in the wild, like an AI in, in cyberpunk or something. Well, I think the cynical way of looking at this AI uh, alliance, and then there's, of course, like AI coalition and AI central, and what did we call it by accident? The AI Avengers, like all of these coalitions of AI groups saying that we are going to put these guardrails and regulate ourselves are really just a response to the fact that the government is saying we're going to regulate this stuff because we can't trust these organizations to do it. So much like the Motion Picture Association of America, before you get more Hays Code kind of shenanigans, they're going to say, hey, we're going to regulate ourselves and take care of ourselves so you government people don't have to worry about it at all. Well, I think deep down, that's what it actually is, because no one wants the government in their business uh, to the point where you basically are having stagnation of development, because let's just be honest, the government isn't good about moving fast either. But at the same time, it's it's it does raise a question of, I think, consumer trust, because, you know, a lot of people still remember that Meta, then Facebook, was using people's information for nefarious things and they got caught after the 2016 election and it became a big thing for them. So, and Mark Zuckerberg has been really pushing this whole open and transparent thing, which is kind of like, hey guys, we don't do that anymore. Look, we're, we're open to everything. Hey, we're open to you and you can see what we're doing. And it seems more like a marketing thing as much as it is about developing responsible AI. Yeah, you know, but just because you leave your windows and doors open doesn't mean anyone's taking a serious look at what you're doing. So I think it's a it's a strategic move on all levels, but definitely interesting. Um, I do believe that the next coalition will be called the AI Avengers. Well, we've uh, burned up yet another glorious half an hour of conversation about artificial intelligence. We didn't even get to things like uh, quantum and space and life extension longevity topics, but we do very frequently here. This is uh, Ryan, the love machine of Zawa, um, signing off. Jason, take us home. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming in. We'll see you again next Wednesday to discuss all things AI and emerging technology. Have a great day.